Oh, it's good to be here today. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm trying to sort through some of what all's on my on my mind to share. Sometimes things change. Welcome to our family room. For everybody that's visiting, special welcome. If you don't know, my name's Isaac. I'm pastor here. Today we welcome you as family to participate with us in worship. Songs and uh, coffee and cookies and now time in the Word. Uh, we're going to talk, frankly, like family. We're not going to mince words. This isn't a production. We're not trying to uh, entertain anyone. Before we get into the Word, a uh, little uh, it's kind of an announcement, but I, I wanted to make it part of our worship, uh, it's part of the way we walk with Jesus. Next two weeks from today, we're going to do a child dedication. If you've got a, a little baby or child that would like to, you'd like to dedicate, this isn't a, something like baptism or something like communion. This is just, it's a thing that we do as a body of believers today to just say we're going to do our, but we're going to set these children apart and do everything that we can to train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord in the Word of God as a body of believers. So we're going to do that in two weeks. If you got somebody that you know, maybe that isn't even here today, that would like to participate in that, just send them our way. Um, we would be honored to participate in that with you as a family. Uh, in last week, Nick brought the Word. You know, he talked about, he's like, well, we got a you know, pastor who preaches all the time and he can lead worship. And, and I was sitting there thinking, and we have a guy who runs sound and sells very comfortable furniture, and he can come and bring the word. So it's like this whole body is brought is built together by people that we all do other stuff. We all wear different hats, and uh, I was very blessed by the words Nick shared last week. So thank you very much, wherever you are in the back. Thanks a bunch uh, for sharing the word. There were so many. It was sort of like drinking from a fire hose. All the scripture that we went to, I got a couple good gulps though. It was very refreshing. Um, we're going to get back this morning into Esther. Um, there's a little review we want to do. A little review. It's only four pages of review and one page of notes for today. I'm not sure we're going to do what all of it we're going to do. The point of a review, I was going through the review, I went through it like 14 times and not that long. And the point of it is to make it familiar, to bring everybody up to speed. If there's anybody here that hasn't, wasn't here during those weeks of teaching on that, um, to bring you up to speed. But it's also, it's like a, um, so a cow, if you don't know, a cow has four stomachs. And they don't just like, it's not like, what, the way a human would use four stomachs is like, perfect, I can fill all four of them. And they don't use it that way. They'll fill one and then they, it comes back up and they chew it again and they put it in the, this is grossing some people out. But they do it four times, and then eventually they get all. The point is, they get all the nutrients they possibly can out of what they eat, and it takes time to do that. And God designed them in that way, and uh, it keeps them occupied for hours on end. It's called chewing their cud. They just keep chewing and eating. And um, as believers, I think there's a there's a measure of that that applies to us, where we can read something. It's like, wow, that's really good, or study something, or hear a sermon, or or even take notes, read a book, whatever. And it's like, wow, that's really good. But then, you know, we got two, three, four, maybe ten percent of what was there. And if we go through these reviews and we don't do them like they're busy work, like oh, we got to hurry up and get through this so everybody knows what we talked about. But if we take our time and we go through it, you'll get more. I'll get more. Because every time I go through these reviews, in my own mind, I get all kinds of stuff 
I'm like, wow, I'm a terrible preacher. I missed that the last time. And then I'll get something else. And it's this kind of the way our brains work. There's a passage of time. My mom uh, is a piano player and she did not teach us piano because there's stories that I wasn't the greatest student in all the free world. So I had a piano teacher, but my mom really made sure that I learned piano because she would stand at the piano for, I mean, you don't understand. This is a whole nother level of parenting, which I have not gotten into yet, where I didn't want to learn piano. And I was very stubborn. This is hard to believe. As a child, I was very stubborn. And um, I didn't want to learn. And so she would stand there and she told me her piano teacher when she was a kid was uh, fluent in French. This is a long story, but she would always tell her, repite, 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 which is French for repeat, repeat, repeat. And you do it over again, over again, over again. And you'd repeat. And, and I was so, that was where the piano practicing of, I had to play everything that was in my lesson three times, which took forever at seven years old or eight years old or nine years old. But it got it in my head. And there's a measure of that for us where if we repeat it, if we repeat it, if we repeat it, that's how so much tradition and so much of even scripture was passed down for generations, oral tradition. Repeat it. Anybody got somebody in their life, whether it's your actual biological grandpa or a grandpa figure, and it's like, here we go. We started this story again. This one time, did I ever tell you about the time me and your Uncle Joe, we, and it's, yeah, I mean, like 19 times. But what's cool is when grandpa's gone, you can still remember what him and Uncle Joe did because he told it to you over and over and over again. And I just want to, I, I kind of want to set that up before we start this review. There's a purpose. This isn't just busy work. This isn't we're filling time on a Sunday morning. I believe that we're supposed to go back over this. Um, not because I don't think anybody was paying attention the first time or the first three times, but because I think there's things that the Holy Spirit uh, will use to transform us. The more we gaze into Scripture, the more we see Jesus, the more that reflection is brought out in us. Over the last month or two, we've been going through the book and the story of Esther. Uh, we discovered details in the context of the original story. We've studied individuals, some of them unsung, some of them are the, the people that are in the story, the heroes, the folks that we have known about, we've looked at the layers of the scripture. Remember, we've talked about how uh, there's only one interpretation, but there's many applications of scripture. It means it's only ever meant what it only ever means, but the Lord will apply it and overlay it on our lives for where we are, specifically to this particular point in time in our lives. That's called application. That's not called, we confuse it in our American Americanology of Christian or of Scripture is like, well, the way I interpret it, it's like that's not a healthy way to really re review Scripture. Let's interpret it the way it was written and then let the Holy Spirit apply it into our lives. Um, we've seen the most important thing, even more important than all those layers of application, is we've seen the shadow of the coming new covenant. We've seen every few weeks we've looked back at different little shadows that are in Scripture that point to and reveal the coming Messiah, the Christ, even in the story of Esther. Eventually it came in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. A few little basic details. King Xerxes is, in Scripture it's referred to as King Ahasuerus, which is King Xerxes I, the son of King Cyrus the Great. Uh, this story takes place during the time of the Battle of the Three Hundred. That's a, like a secular history point that we can kind of look back. That's when, 
That's the culture, that's the time this would have taken place. God's chosen people were living in exile in the Persian Empire. They had been carried off into exile into the Babylonian Empire. The Persians conquered the Babylonians, and now they're living in exile under the Persian Empire. However, many of them had been returned to their homeland, which wasn't just theirs, it was still part of the Persian Empire, but they had been returned. Shushan, which is the, the site where this story takes place, that was the capital city of the Persian Empire. Um, and that empire we looked at a few different times. By population percentage was the largest empire the world's ever seen. It was a huge percentage of the world's population lived. The largest number of the world's population percentage-wise lived in that empire of all time. Uh, and upwards of 90% of the Jewish population lived in the Persian Empire, which at first glance and we've kind of, we've, we touched at this a little bit, but at first glance, it's like, oh, wow, and then we move on. It's like, wow, that's a lot, you know, a large percentage. But there's an important detail here, and um, I'm going to just kind of tag out of my notes and, and share a little bit about this. There's, how many of you know that there's a spiritual realm that, is, that was here first? There's the, the physical realm, which is all we know with our with our senses, our touch, our smell. There's a, this is second. This is the created. Like gravity is in the created realm. Gravity isn't part of the spiritual realm. Um, sight, what we see, the way we see with our eyes, that's created. The way we smell, I'm, conv- I'm not entirely convinced that food, I think that could be spiritual. There may be, because sight is a big deal. That was a joke. It might, it's probably just a physical thing. You can laugh, that was a joke. Um, but all of the things that we experience are part of the physical realm. But there's a spiritual realm that was here first. And usually what happens and what takes place in the physical has got things that are affected by the spiritual. Does this make, like, okay, and this is, I'm a metaphor guy. This is a metaphor that I've been pondering. So my, I live in sand. In my yard, I have what's called ground moles. There's more ground moles than you can imagine that live in my yard. There may not be that many, but there's a lot of tunnels. And, you know, I can't, I, I've only seen like seven ground moles in my entire life. But there's new tunnels every day. Even if the ground's frozen, which is a novelty to me. The ground can freeze like a foot down and there's still new ground mole tunnels. I don't understand how that works. But those ground mole tunnels are evidence of something going on below, beneath the surface, Right? Like, if you were to drive in my driveway and you see all these little paths, you wouldn't say, wow, Isaac's carefully manicuring paths all through his yard. You would say there's something going on beneath the surface, right? This is simple. In the same way, there's things in the natural, there's little ground mole paths all going around in the natural that reveal things going on in the spiritual. This isn't rocket science. Don't look confused. This isn't confusing. This is revealed in the story of Esther with absolute marked clarity. 90% within the margin of error, potentially, all the Jewish population of the earth dwelled in the Persian Empire at the time of Haman's plot. Okay? Haman devises a plot, and we're going to read the plot in its entirety in uh, Esther chapter 3 in a little bit. Haman devises a plot at which the Persians are open season. They're He passes a law. He writes a decree that says we can kill all the Jews within the Persian Empire. And it's got the king's signet ring seal on it. It's not revocable. This is the law of the land now. There's a day coming where, now, what are the ramifications of that for us? 
It's like, probably not any, right? Because like, that was then, this is now, what are the ramifications? Like, had his plan worked, it would have, obviously we wouldn't have had the book of Esther. History might have played out differently. No, 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 no. That's what we see on the surface. And the spiritual, who, where was the Messiah coming from? See, Jesus hadn't come yet. When Esther was written, when Esther was taking place, the Messiah hadn't come yet. So there's this spiritual uh, campaign going on beneath the surface of the physical to stop the plan of salvation. Now, I believe that Satan was not aware exactly how the plan of salvation was going to unfold. We see like little glimpses in the New Testament. It's like he obviously didn't know or else would wouldn't have crucified the king of glory because he invited him into his realm to be made a show openly, and we talked about all that. But he knew there was an awareness that there was something coming, something big. In fact, if you go all the way back to the fall of man, God cues him in, and he's like, this is not going to end well for you. Out of her seed, you will be crushed. And all through, you get to Abraham, and you see little glimpses of promise. There was no mystery at the point of Esther. There was no mystery that these people were chosen by God for a specific purpose. There was something coming that wasn't going to go well for Satan coming from this line of people. So if, if there was an opportunity in the spiritual, if he could, if he could affect the demise of this line of people, that would, that would effectively stop the plan of salvation. Do you see where I'm getting? Do you see this? This is not difficult. You see there's a mole going around under the surface, and then we see Haman comes up with this plot. The plot eventually is thwarted. You see there's a spiritual thing going on. All of these Israelites dwelling within the borders, an irrevocable law passed. Now, back up. We got back up to our notes Queen Vashti was the queen at the beginning of the book of Esther. Obviously, that didn't pan out. She snubbed her nose at the king and was dethroned. She was a victim of their version of cancel culture. It was, it was pretty effective cancel culture back then. The ensuing queen search turns up Esther. This was a wildly carnal and immoral beauty pageant um, sort of deal situation. We've talked about that in, in detail. But regardless, Esther ascended to the throne instead of descending into the king's harem. Uh, we talked about this a couple of times, but the alter- like when, when they took Esther for this beauty pageant, it wasn't like, well, if the king likes you, you'll be the queen, and otherwise we'll send you back to your home, and you can go out and live your life. It was like, you're either going to be the queen, or you're going to live in the harem for the rest of your life. She ascended to the throne. Instead of descending to the harem, Esther, her, she was a beautiful Israelite orphan. She was raised primarily by her cousin Mordecai, sir, who served as a father figure throughout the entire book. Um, Mordecai, this, we're kind of flying through this, but I want you to glean things. Ask the Lord. He'll show you things as we go through here. Maybe you've got some notes on this. Uh, maybe some of you have been reading this or studying this on your own. After Esther was taken for the, king's, the queen pageant ordeal, Mordecai awaits news of her well-being at the king's gate. Remember this story? While he's there, he inadvertently discovers a plot on the king's life. A couple of the guys that worked for the king weren't very impressed, and they were going to take him out. He participates in thwarting that plot, and that act later saves his life. Haman, the king's signet ring-carrying henchman, a descendant of Amalek, the descendant of Esau, full of pride and self-importance, Haman is offended when Mordecai doesn't bow before him. That's like pride. What does the Bible say? It's only through pride that contention cometh. 
It's like there's some serious pride going on here, some serious self-focus. Haman was absolutely, I mean, he was completely consumed with pride. And when Mordecai didn't bow before him, is, this is when that, that seed, the plot in seed form is birthed to annihilate the Jews and effectively, had it worked, would have canceled salvation for all of us because the Messiah couldn't have come. But we know, the, like, what did Paul say in Romans 8? We know that God's working all things together. Not causing this. This isn't God's plan. Well, I want this to happen. No, he's, but he's working. He's working. And Mordecai, when he re, uh, relayed to Esther the details of what she was to do or the challenge for her, he said, salvation for the Jews will arise from another place. It will arise from another place. If you drop this ball, somebody's going to pick it up. But it's not going to pan out for you. So the king's Haman, he, um, he's offended because Mordecai doesn't bow before him, drafts a law to basically annihilate all the Jewish people living in the kingdom of Persia. Um, we talked about this. There's a, this is a physical display of a spiritual force at work. Um, what we're seeing today is not new. This is, this is like the same, it's a remake of what has always been taking place. The forces of evil are against the people, God's chosen people. Again, I'm, I'm certain Satan and his forces did not grasp who was coming from this lineage or how they were going to be utterly defeated by him, but there had been tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek rumblings for so long they knew something was coming. This story reveals to us, though, uh, we should all know that when God is for us, who can effectively be against us? It's not to say no one's ever going to come against us, but who can affect the purposes of evil against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? This was a lose-lose-lose situation. We're going to look at even more deeply how it was a lose-lose situation this morning. When Mordecai learns of this law being passed, this decree going forth, he grieves in sackcloth and ashes, has the famous communication with Esther. You guys remember this. The, for such a time as this communication, through the king's eunuch, Hatach. We've looked at him a little bit. We've talked about him. He's one of those unsung heroes. You maybe have studied the story of Esther many times, and I had, and I'd never picked up on this guy and his importance. He played a very important role because he told the truth. He was full of integrity, and he told the truth with nothing to be gained by himself. We looked, one of the layers that we looked at of application of this in our lives is Esther and Mordecai chose to engage their culture for life and for good regardless of how hopeless it was. It seemed hopeless. When Esther went to King Ahasuerus, she had a 50-50 shot of even surviving. There was a 50% chance that it was off with your head. I'm not in the mood, off with her head. I'll find a new queen tomorrow. Remember the harem? We still got it. It's full. So I'll find a new queen tomorrow. That was a 50% chance. And she was willing to engage. Are we willing to engage our culture, no matter how hopeless it may seem? We talked about this in depth. Um, There's a lot of Christianity today, and I'm not going to re-preach this whole thing, but there's a lot of Christianity today that we occupy ourselves with talking about how bad this burning building of society is burning. We travel through it. It was like, wow, it's bad. It's coming down quick. It's going. And all the while, we carry the water hose with us. We've got the gospel with us. We've got the solution. And oftentimes, we just hide. It's like, well, I'm not even going to talk about anything with anybody. I'm not, I'm, it's like, I don't know. What's the use? 
I've heard that a lot. I know, I'm sure you guys have heard that a lot when we're out in our culture. Maybe we've, maybe we've said it. Like, I don't know what the point is. It just seems to be getting worse. Everything seems, society seems to be getting worse. So I'm not real sure what the, it's like the building may be on fire, but we have water. Like we have the solution, the eternal solution. Um, Eventually, Esther gets to the point that we see revealed in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, how, you know, the, the first part of this verse is real popular. It says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And then the last part is not super popular, especially not in America today. It says, they love not their lives to the death. Like, we should, that's not really, we shouldn't probably share that one. They weren't in love with their lives? That's the American dream, It's to be in love with our lives. We should be in love with our, no, we shouldn't. They didn't love their lives. They, uh, Esther eventually got to this point where it's like, I may be the queen. I may have everything at this point, regardless of how I got here. But I'm not in love with my life. If I perish, I perish. She actually says those words, not in English, because they didn't speak English. Their language probably made a lot more sense than ours does. But she says, if I perish, I perish. This might not pan out. Which is there's also in this whole story, there's a nod to Jesus the Christ who was willing to perish on behalf of his people. One, willing to perish for the provision of his people. It's just a nod. There's all kinds of things in Scripture that tip their hat, that nod, that paint a picture, that reveal a shadow or a glimpse of the coming Messiah. We looked at how Esther was willing to engage her culture. Uh, we, need to, we need to remember that our salvation today the reason we meet, the purpose of us meeting is greater than any society, than any government, than any law, than any civilization itself. The gospel is bigger. It's eternal. That's what drives us. That's what compels us, is the love of God which is bigger than any organization succeeding or failing for good or for evil. And yet that shouldn't stop us. That shouldn't cause us to abstain from engaging our culture. We're on this planet to be salt and light. We carry the solution every day as we navigate the problem. In this country today, we're not going to go on and on about this this morning, but in this country today, we have the freedom to vote, the ability to access information at a scale the world has never seen. If you're sitting here today and I ask you a question and you say, I don't know, and you desire to know anything, if a week from now you don't know that, it's your fault. We've got information like has never been before at our fingertips. And we have the freedom to engage our culture today, to engage our government today in this country. This isn't the end-all, be-all of the gospel. The gospel doesn't pivot or rise and fall on any civilization or country, but we that shouldn't stop us from engaging our society. As born-again believers, we have to stop. This is my, and many of you have listened to many hours of this from me. Just a few more minutes. We have to stop standing in funeral visitation lines speculating on whether or not someone is with the Lord and flipping through the news lamenting how bad things are. All the while, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and the freedom to affect cultural and societal change. I'm tired of Christianity. Basically, we find all of our courage in the funeral line saying, well, I don't know, where do you, do you think they're with the Lord? Well, now's not the time to ask. That time came and that time passed. As believers, like, we have a friend of mine, mentor, 
Former pastor Jerry has always encouraged me during dark times, he's always come to me and said, don't forget, life is for the living. Life is for the living. We're here, and everybody else that has a pulse that's in our circle of influence, in our sphere that we operate in, we better know, like, now's the time. This is the day the Lord has made. We sing that song, the songs about this is the day the Lord has made. We look at that verse, it's like, oh, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I had my kids, we memorized that verse. That's a great verse. Unfortunately, I didn't really, when we were memorizing that, I didn't really look at the context. You know the context of what that's written about, Psalm 118, 24. It's talking about the coming Messiah. This is the day, the day the Messiah comes. This is the day the Lord has made. The day the Messiah came. The day the new covenant was inaugurated. Let us rejoice and be glad in that day, in the day the Messiah came. We carry the gospel. Asking somebody, engaging somebody on eternity, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. For some reason, we think it's easier. It's less, it's like we can stand after the fact and discuss it. We can say, it's like, boy, I don't know. And then the next question we always ask in the funeral visitation line, where'd they go to church? Well, I don't know if they went. Oh. This is not the time. We have the, it's like the building burns down and we show up, we stand there, it's like, I mean, we, wow, that building went down fast. What caused the building to fall? The massive fire. Oh. Huh. Ah, yeah, you never know when they're going to come down. This is how we engage. We, got, we have the gospel. We have, we're standing at the buildings that are on fire with our fire hose. And I said I wasn't going to preach it again, but I'm just, I am so passionate about us as believers getting lit up with the gospel. Carry it with us. Proclaim it. If somebody doesn't want to be your friend because you ask them about eternity and you ask them if they know Jesus, move on. That's the most important question we'll ever ask. It's not difficult to talk to people about faith. It's not. It's the only thing that matters. We can ask them about the weather. That's irrelevant. Eternally speaking, the weather is irrelevant. We can ask them about their work. We can ask them about college. We can ask them not a lot about the news because that's super offensive. But we can ask people about the gospel. We can proclaim the gospel, and we should engage with the gospel. We looked, continuing on the review, we looked uh, how Esther fasted on the third day, a foreshadowing of the resurrection, she went to the king. Um, <clears throat> we talked a little bit about this. Esther is a case study in what Paul wrote in Romans eight twenty eight about how we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God worked all sorts of things together in this story. From Mordecai's actions early on to the fact that Esther hid her Jewish identity until the right time. Even things that were done for the sake of evil, like Haman building a gallows intended for the destruction of Mordecai, it ends up being used for Haman himself. This story is replete with types and shadows of the coming Messiah and the new covenant in which we are partakers in. This morning, we're going to look at another one of those shadows and types that are hidden for us to discover within this story. We're going to start, we're going to read through uh, Esther chapter 3. We're just going to read the whole thing. Um, it's not super long, 15, 16 verses here. We're going to read through it because I want you guys to see in detail the plot that took place. Starting in verse 1 of Esther chapter 3. 
After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agathite, and advanced him and set him in the seat above the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were with the kings, within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Verse 4, Now it happened that when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them. They told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with wrath. Verse 6, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples. They do not keep the king's law. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. Verse 9, If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, Agathite, and the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, The money and the people are given to you to do, do with them as seems good to you. Verse 12, And the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first, first month, and a decree was written according to them, according to all that Haman had commanded. To the king's satraps, to the governors who were with, over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province, according to its scripture, according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. Verse 13, the letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Verse 14, a copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people that they should be ready for that day. Verse 15, the couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree which was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. This is the plot. This is the plot that Haman devised to annihilate the Jews. This is what start, this is the backbone of the whole story of the book of Esther. And this plot, it's important. We don't really understand this in our culture today because we don't live in this kind of a government. Um, but the king, when the king sealed something with his signet ring, it was, that was the law. It was irrevocable. There was no, it wasn't something that's like, well, you know, why don't we change it? Let's go. We can go. That was the point. The whole purpose of there being a signet ring to seal something is that once that seal went, it wasn't going to wake up the next day and change his mind. Now, there's a flippancy here that the king engages with Haman. He was distracted. There was a lot going on in the kingdom at the time, and uh, he had just got himself a new queen. It's like, yeah, whatever you think, take care of it. There's a flippancy that if the king had been a little more engaged, he's like, like, who are these people? Do I know any of them? And what do you mean they're not abiding by any of our laws? Like, dig a little deeper, king. But he didn't. He just signed off on it, 
and the signet ring seal went, and the decree went out. Now, we're looking at types and shadows, right? There was a point in time, early in time, that a similar act took place. This irrevocable decree that went out is very similar to what took place in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve ate their way into the curse of sin, which there was no way out of. Because God is a God of integrity. He said, in the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. There is no going back on that. Because God's integrity matters. So there was no, it wasn't, God didn't get, he's, I'm going to change my mind. I love you so much, why don't I just change my mind? There's a type here, there's a shadow, just bear with us. If you fast forward, you get through Esther chapter 7, and you see, we, we went through this all last week in detail, or two weeks ago, I'm not going to go over all of it. Ultimately, Esther goes to the king after three days of fasting. She presents what Haman did to the king. The king was not impressed. Haman had been so upset with Mordecai, he built a gallows. The king wound up hanging Haman on the gallows he built for Mordecai. We get to, the king loved Esther very much by this point. But there was no changing this law. This law was already made. This day was coming. This day of vengeance against the Jews was coming. So what next? I know many of you have read this. Maybe you're just familiar with the story. In verse 1 of chapter 8, we see, On that day King Ahasuerus gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told the king how he was related to her. So the king took off his signet ring, the ring that he had on that stamped the decree that was going to result in the annihilation of the Jews, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. So the Lord works in, in, all, in all situations, not causing them, but working in them. Now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet, and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman the Agahite and the scheme which he devised against the Jews. The king held out the golden scepter towards Esther. Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it pleases the king, if I have found favor in his sight, and the thing seems right to the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agahite, wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in the king's province. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? How can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Verse 7, the king Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai, it was both there, indeed I have given Esther the house of Haman. They have hanged him on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. Right here, for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So he says, I can't revoke this. I can't just cancel it out. But what you can do is you can write something else. You can write a defense. You can seal it with this ring, and we'll see how it works. That's the best he could do. Does this look like anything to anybody? The curse of sin. Adam and Eve ate their way into the curse of sin. God's like, my hands are tied. I made this. I said this. And this is where you are. So what I can do is I can write another one. 
and I'll seal it with my blood. And I'm going to make it free. Not gonna, I can't revoke the curse of sin, but I can, we can write another one. And you see this takes place in the book of, es- in the book of Esther in chapter 8. We see, uh, let's see, so the king's scribes were called in at that time, verse 9, in the third month, which is the month of Stephen, on the 23rd day, it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews and the satraps, the governors, the princes over the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, to every province in its own script, to every people in their own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. Verse 10, he wrote, in the name of King Ahasuerus, and sealed it with the king's signet ring that he'd just been given, and sent the letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses, bred from swift steeds. This guy's not messing around. We are not going to, well, I don't know, we'll write something and hope it pans out. He says, no, we're going to do this, and we're going to do it right. By these letters, verse 11, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together to protect their lives, to destroy, to kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, to plunder their possessions. On one day in all the provinces of Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day, to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan the citadel. The story goes on. In chapter 9, you see it take place that in the twelfth month, that is a month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came. Verse 9, the fullness of time. The time came. There was much anticipation. There were these two decrees went out. They were both sealed with the king's signet ring. And the clock was ticking. Days went by. They were both very thorough in their delivery of this decree. In the fullness of time, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. Verse 2, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king of Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. No one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. Verse 3, and all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work to help the Jews because their fear of Mordecai fell upon them. Mordecai was great in the king's palace and his fame had spread throughout all the provinces. For this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with the slaughter and destruction, and did what pleased, they did what they pleased with those who hated them. And in Shushan the citadel, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Also the 10 sons of Haman, skip to verse 10, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay hands on the plunder. On that day, the number of those who were killed in Shushan the citadel was brought to the king. Now, we're not going to read all the details of everything here. I encourage you to read more. Read the rest of eight. Read the rest of nine. Read the book of Esther over and over again. But I want to look at, I want to, we're going to draw something out here. So, the decree, we talked we talk about this, the decree that Haman had drafted for the annihilation of the Jews had been sealed with the king's signet ring. There was no rescinding it. But then the decree that Mordecai and Esther wrote 
was also sealed with the king's signet ring. Um, and it was also in effect. Esther going to the king on behalf of her people gained them not deliverance. That's how you, it, well, gained them, no, it, gave, it gained them the opportunity to be delivered. You understand the difference? So if you, if you were going to title today's sermon, it would be titled Automatic. See, there's things in this life that are opportunities that aren't automatic. Esther couldn't make a decree that was automatic. The best she could do was to present an opportunity. The Jewish people in that day had the opportunity, the legal blessing of the king, to defend themselves. They had the opportunity to survive. As humans existing today, you know the gospel is free, but it's not automatic. There's a difference. And so much of the church, I think, has got lost in a few different nooks and crannies of the Bible saying, well, it might be automatic. It's not automatic. That's why we were commissioned. Go into all the world. If it was automatic, would the early church need to be sacrificed at the rate they were? Would they need to write letters? Would they need to proclaim anything? It's not automatic. We're commissioned as disciples and disciple makers for a reason. Much, just as the opportunity for the Jewish people in Esther's day was not automatic, it was an opportunity, just like Jesus Christ going to the Father after having become a sacrifice on behalf of the entire world doesn't change the realities that the deal the first Adam signed up for. It just gives humanity an opportunity. It's a little picture in here of this new covenant. The new covenant wasn't going to just come along and just be, and everybody's just right with the Father. No, there's an opportunity that's available today. We represent that opportunity. Do you see how this matters? Do you see how this, this changes? How When we walk through that door at the end of the day today, this is, we should see it differently. We're commissioned to present this opportunity Ain't nobody else doing it. It's believers that do it. There's no news media doing this. There's no social media doing this. This is our job. We have been commissioned. Now, this isn't pressure-filled, like God's going to be upset with you if you don't. No, this is an opportunity for us to participate in, carrying the gospel to the world. Adam and Eve ate their way into the curse of sin for all humanity to come after them. The reality of that curse is automatically felt by each of us and is coursing through the veins of our society every moment of every day. Behind the scenes of human civilization over millennia, the creator of the universe and the lover of his creation was crafting a plan to provide deliverance to all of his most prized creation. Jesus is that deliverance incarnate. He's the second person of an eternal, omnipotent, triune Godhead who came to dwell among us in the form of a tiny helpless baby to live a sinless life and die as an eternal sacrifice that no longer just covers over the sin of the whole world but actually serves to take away all of the missed marks of all humanity for all time. Though this salvation is available for free to everyone, it is not automatic. The curse of sin was not, was not automatic for Adam and Eve and the gift of salvation isn't thrust upon all humanity automatically either. The creator God, the lover of our souls, desires authentic relationship 
born of the freedom to choose to believe. You see, love isn't love if we don't choose it. It's compulsion. As, as humans today, we're created in his image. You know, all of us, were, Genesis reveals that humanity was designed after the image and in the likeness of God. This sentiment should be easily understood by all of us. The sentiment of not desiring compulsive relationships, like compulsion-based relationships. None of us want to have a relationship with anyone that we know is forced to be in it. Do you? Does anybody? I mean, I don't care. I'm not just, I'm not just talking about marriage relationship. I'm not any relationship. You want, you want a good relationship with your kids. You don't want them to be forced. Like, I'm going to beat you if you don't love me. That's not a really great relationship. Like an employer-employee relationship. Like I've been in relationships with people that, were, that felt forced and then I've been in some that were authentic. What's the ones you desire? Friendship relationship. If you know, it's like they're only friends with me because they want something or someone made them. And I remember being, when I was a kid um, and maybe you guys can relate. I'm sure some of you can relate to this. Either you were, we've all either been on one side or the other of the scenario where either you're the kid who some other kid's parents says they have to be friends with you, or you're the kid being told that you have to be friends with somebody. Now, there, I'm, no one's video recording this, but by a show of hands, anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you should know what I'm, where it's like, you get in a car and it's like, we're going to so-and-so's house and you're going to be nice to them. Okay. And you're going to smile. Okay, and then you get there, it's like, hi, how are you? Or you're that, the guy on the other side, where it's like, I don't think they really want to be here. They're kind of being nice, but it's, it's forced. It's not real. Where you know the difference between that and that authentic, genuine, you see them come through the door and you go running. You know the difference? Everybody understands the difference. Do you know why you know the difference? Because you were created in the image of God. He knows the difference. He doesn't want to compel you into relationship, force you to be his son or his daughter. That's not relationship. We're desperate to be chosen. We as humans want to be chosen. You look at social media, and it's funny that I'm talking about this because I, I aren't socially media involved. But you look at how it's structured. Likes. I clicked a like. Uh, friend requests. I sent Kirk a friend request and he accepted. And now we's friends. I was chosen. He chose to be, he's not socially media involved either. But following somebody. Look at the concept of following. How many followers do you have? Because, you know, nobody forced anybody to follow me. They chose to follow me. I have a thousand people following. I don't have anyone following me. But the, you understand the concept. Social media is a case study in humanity's desperate desire to be chosen. Humans, by nature, we want to be chosen. And it's, we've, our generation of humanity has proven it's way too hard to be chosen in person. So let's just do it virtually. 
but I still want to be chosen. I want to know what that feels like. I want to feel the emotions that I feel when I open my social media feed and I see that somebody chose to follow me. Alert. We get an alert. We need to have an alert. Like somebody chose to follow you today. Oh my. I get a little emotional happy rush. Somebody chose me. We love to be chosen. We got that from God. He gave that to you when he created you in his image. You might say, how is this relevant? Well, as we grow in our understanding of Jesus, we'll realize that no human can fill the place of our needing to be chosen. Let's keep, keep looking for more. 10,000 followers still aren't going to be. That void will still be there. 100 million followers, that void will still be there. That place is fulfilled only and fulfilled entirely in a relationship with Jesus. That's why salvation's not automatic. That's why it's not Jesus finished it on the cross and then every human ever conceived after that is just automatically born again. Because he desires that relationship too. He desires us to choose relationship with him. It's free. They don't have to pay anything for it. Can't do anything to be more worthy of it. A lot of people want to talk about what you're going to do to be more worthy of God's relationship. You can't do anything to be more worthy. You can believe. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's that simple. And we see these. I enjoy uh, looking through Scripture. I enjoy all different studying, different parts of Scripture. I think what's become my absolute favorite and most purpose-filled point in studying scripture is looking for that picture. There's a lot of things in Esther, a lot of, a lot of things that you could preach today that would fit. You could draw out of it and you could compel people to do things, to say things, to participate in things that's going on today, and that's fine. I'm not mad at anybody that does that, but I see the the longer I study the book of Esther, the longer I study scripture, the more the only thing I can see is Jesus. He's in this story, and he's bigger than anything going on today. He's bigger than societal collapse. You say, oh boy, I don't know. Society's pretty big. Society was all created. Remember, Jesus has no beginning, and he has no end. The gospel he provides is bigger than societal collapse. It's bigger than the best things in our lives. Thank Jesus it's bigger than the worst. This is a message this morning. We're, we got one more, well now probably since I said that we probably have two more weeks in Esther. We have for sure one more week in Esther. Some other stuff we want to look at. But this morning, I just want to encourage you that when we leave this place, you've got a commissioning to carry this gospel. I want you to know, as a believer today, it's not automatic. Everybody you encounter, they may not know Jesus. And we're here to introduce them. You are very important. You might be sitting here today 
and you may be thinking, I am probably not the best representor. To someone, you are. You don't necessarily have to preach in an auditorium with a thousand people, but there's someone that you have a relationship with that nobody else has that relationship with. And you can speak truth, and you can introduce them. There's nothing like having a good introduction. If you go to a, you go to a group of people, and we've talked about this before, you go to a workplace, you get a new job. I get a new job, I'm going to go work for Trey, I'm going to go work at Towlift. And, you know, I could get a job at Towlift just as me. But how much better do you think my first day would be if I walked in with Trey and he introduced me? He's like, I just want everybody to know this is, this is my friend Isaac. He's going to be working here today. We don't know what his skills are, if he has any, but he's going to be here. He's going to be working. And everybody's like, hey, you're friends with Trey. You know Trey. That's an example of a positive introduction. You realize we can introduce people to Jesus because we know him. If you're here today and you're a school teacher or you're a retired person or you own your own business or I don't know what, you're in school, whatever the thing is that you're doing, wherever you are, you have a relationship with Jesus. You have precedent. You have standing with the Father and you can introduce someone and say, you know who this is? I know Jesus. I've walked with him for this long. It's different than just somebody picking up a pamphlet and reading it. It's like, oh, so... Trey knows Jesus. He it's like, I can call. What do you know about this Jesus? And he can say, There's, I got a whole bunch of questions, but I got a whole bunch of things that I know for sure. Let me share with you what I know. You can be that guy. And you might be sitting here thinking, that's, that's really scary. I don't know about that. It's not that scary. You would do that about whatever. If I was to go through this room with a microphone and ask each of you what you do or have done for a living or what you're at, where you're at in school or whatever, you would have no problem engaging someone about it to, to some degree, maybe just one-on-one, -on -one, but to some degree. Jerry could talk about digging a pond. We, that was one of the early things that Jerry and I connected on was our love of heavy equipment, which is ironic because neither one of us owns a dozer or an excavator. I don't think he, I don't know, if, maybe he owns one by now, but that's like, that's kind of sad, we should get one. That was the thing that we connected on. It wasn't a difficult thing. We connect, we could talk about it, we could talk about how we, you know, what pattern we like, what equipment we like, whatever. It's easy connect, and yet somehow we've, we've relegated faith to this thing where it's like, that's really hard to talk about. No, it's not, because we know him. What Nick talked about this morning about knowing the Father. It's not about memorizing verses for the sake of memorizing verses. The whole point of salvation is to present the opportunity to know Jesus and to be known by him. And that's what lends you courage. That's what lends us courage. When you've experienced something, when you've experienced someone, it's much easier to discuss that, to introduce people to that, isn't it? It's my prayer that when we go from this place, we carry the realization that we were chosen and that we carry that with confidence. There's a whole bunch in Scripture. There's a whole bunch in Esther. We're going to keep looking. We got one more, one more week that we're going to look at some more things in Esther. I, just, I pray that you've been able to see Jesus in this story. I pray that you've been able to see this new covenant in the shadows, in the outline of this story. If you would stand with me this morning, I want to dismiss us with a declaration to go into this world, into this holiday season, 
with confidence, knowing whose we are and holding his hand tightly. Here at Revelation, Revelation Rock, we declare with the Apostle Peter that we are a chosen generation. Generation. We are beneficiaries of an eternal covenant made between the Godhead. As we grow in understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, we engage our culture with the boldness of lions. This morning as we leave this place, we are confident in our Savior. Confident in the Spirit who dwells within us. We know this earth isn't fixed yet. And we will face difficulty and persecution, but with an eternal perspective, this isn't the end of the line. We believe what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John is true, that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Bow with me if you would. Father, I thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much that it's been preserved for us. There is truth folded into this story for us to discover and find. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your guidance. Thank you for breathing upon the word of God, revealing more and more of your character and more and more of your story. Father, I pray a blessing over this body. Lord, I just, I pray, I pray for each of us as we go from this place that we would do so confidence, not arrogance, that we would do so with peace, not laziness, that we would do so with joy, not just happiness, but joy, the joy of the Lord that that is present in good times and in bad times. It gives us strength for all times. Father, I pray safety over us as we go from this place. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be dismissed. We'll be back next week. I'm not sure. We might finish next week. We'll see. Have a wonderful week.